All right, let's, uh, let's open up with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you that, uh, that you are so good to us, that uh, you have done uh, all that is necessary so that we might be able to stand before you with the righteousness of Christ. Thank you for your your goodness in that, Lord, we thank you that uh, it is not of us, because if it was, uh, we'd be found uh, wanting and uh, dead in our trespasses and sins. We thank you for your your work in giving us new life, and we thank you for your, your word of truth that uh, reveals who you are to us, that uh, challenges us, causes us to grow. And I pray as we uh, look into your word this evening that you would open our eyes to the truth that you would have for us. Uh, we thank you for just uh, uh, the history of things that you have preserved for us, that we can see the, the great things that you have done, the mighty things that you have done. And we pray now that uh, we would uh, have a, a good time of focus and uh, worship as we look together in your word. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so you can uh, turn to Obadiah. I actually meant to put my notes in there because it's so small and probably passed by it. But when I saw the list of books to pick, I picked Obadiah chiefly because I really don't know that much about it. So I thought it would be good to spend time uh, looking into a, a book that I've read but never really studied any of the historical background or any of the uh, information that is there. This is the shortest book in the, the Old Testament and the shortest of the, the minor prophets. But just like other, other short books that we've gone through recently, God uh, can pack a punch in a very small space, right? Very few words. And he does that in this book as well. Just by a, a little way of, of introduction before we kind of walk through the text, and we'll actually cover most of it just because it's kind of short, so... It won't be like some of the, the other overviews where you've had to bite off larger chunks. We'll be able to walk through it a little bit uh, more progressively. So very little is known about the, the author uh, other than we just have in verse 1 the, the vision of Obadiah. So that's, that's really the extent of information we have about the, the author. Uh, there's some 20 individuals in the Old Testament with the name Obadiah. Um, there's no real context within the book or any historical way to dogmatically say that this is who this particular Obadiah is that has uh, uh, penned these words. Um, and he just he gets he gets right into it. the The main uh, theme that we have in this book is the the destruction of Edom. And we'll develop that as, as we go through, but that's the, the main theme that is covered. Uh, and where this book falls chronologically, um, there's some contextual clues that we have to tell us basically about what it, what's happening. So it's dealing with one of the destructions of Jerusalem. It's, it's hard to say exactly which one it is because there's, there's really five that are recorded in the Old Testament um, an earlier 
One of the earlier events is, I think, more preferable just based on some of the contextual clues. Um, Jeremiah quotes from Obadiah, so it's probably prior to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah would have been writing during the late time period because he's, he's writing during uh, the actual fall of Jerusalem with uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And Joel seems to quote from him as well, so that puts it pretty early on. And then a couple of the other things within the context is some of the enemies of Israel that are mentioned are some of the earlier enemies, like the Philistines, which is that's pretty early on. As you get later on in history, the Philistines are kind of out of the picture. But he specifically mentions the Philistines here. So it seems like it's probably earlier in time than some of the other minor prophets. But, but again, it's hard to be dogmatic about it. And it seems that it's likely... Um, during one of the, the times that Jerusalem was sacked, and it might have been when the, the Philistines and the, the Arabians did it uh, during the reign of Jehoram. That's one of the times that it could have happened. Uh, but it also has some, it, he's got some firsthand experience that he's dealing with in the, in the context, and then he's talking about some future things that will happen. So, um, I think that's why we have Jeremiah quoting it because Jeremiah is alluding to some of the same things that happened because basically when Jeremiah deals with this, he's, he's there, he, see, he sees Israel actually fall, and he's quoting back to some of the words of, of Obadiah because it's the same thing and it's some of the same people because Edom was involved at that point in time too. They, they uh, took full advantage of Israel being in uh, calamity and, and joined right in. So that's just a little bit of background about the, the particular date of when this could have taken place. And then, as I said, that the theme is really the destruction of, of Edom. And this is a theme that's actually taken up by a number of uh, different uh, prophets. Uh, Isaiah deals with it, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Joel, and Malachi, they all deal with the destruction of Edom. And a little bit more background, just as a way of reminder, is that uh, Edom is the descendants of Esau, uh, Esau being Jacob's brother. So you can go all the way back to that history, and there's been a history of struggle between Israel and, and Edom all throughout history. And, and even when you go back into the book of Numbers, they're trying to go into the land. They ask to go through Edom, and Edom says, you know, basically, if you come through here, we'll go after you with the sword. So there's been a, a, a long struggle between um, Israel and Edom, uh, right back to the, the twins that were born, right? He's, Jacob was holding on to, or uh, yeah, Jacob was holding on to Esau's heel. So it's been a, a lifelong struggle between these, these two uh, nations. Because it's because the the book, like a lot of the 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 minor prophets that we've gone through, they're they're written very specifically to specific uh, persons. You know, application can sometimes be a little bit difficult. And as I as I read through this, the more I read through it, there's there's two main themes. You know, there's the there's the theme of his his writing, the destruction of Edom. But there's two main themes and characteristics that you can see. Uh, concerning God, and one is the the overall principle of 
uh, sowing and reaping. That is developed here pretty heavily in how Edom acts. And then the principle that God resists the proud. Uh, that's another theme that's developed throughout this book is there's a lot of focus on the pride of Edom. And that is why God brings uh, Edom to destruction. There's certainly some uh, difficulty when when you bring a bring a book forward that has a as a a focus in on pride is that's you know that's the chief among the sins that we deal with right all of the sin that is in our lives is stem from our own selfish pride um, we we've been looking in James uh, in Sunday school and we've looked at the verse what is the cause of quarrels and conflicts among you is it not your own passions at war within you, right? That's our own selfish pride that causes the struggles. Another thing I was thinking as as I was just reading through this passage is that the 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 panacea for pride is really a correct understanding of who God is. It's having a correct understanding of the character of God. And when we have that correct understanding of who God is, we should develop a proper fear for God. And when we have a proper fear for God and understand who God is, there's little room for pride. Um, and, and as we walk through this, this text, we'll see just the, the power of God, um, what God is, is able to do, his absolute sovereign power. Um, in directing events and things. And when, when we have this understanding, it, it really should be that cure for our pride is, you know, it's, we're, we are prideful when we fail to recognize who God really is. We think that we're something greater than we are, and that means that we are thinking little of God. And also, as we see through this, this passage and throughout the rest of Scripture is when we act in pride, we are putting ourselves in a position of hostility towards God, which is another uh, serious thing, right? And God opposes the proud. You know, that's another universal principle that we see as we, we look through this, this text. So those are all uh, things that I just, I, I've had in mind as I've read through this, because you see God operating under these universal principles, right? They've sown and they will reap, and he is going to oppose those that are proud. So we'll get we'll get right into it here. Um, in verse one, uh, that the second part, we we see that it says, uh, "Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom: We have heard a report from the Lord, and an envoy has been sent out among the nations, saying, Arise and let us go against her for battle.'" So, so right off, he gets into the, the main theme of what's happening in the book, this destruction of Edom. And this is a call from God. He's calling the nations to gather together to go against Edom. He develops why he does this later on. But, you know, if we, if we just ponder that for a moment there, and there's other passages where God does that, it's a, it's a pretty terrifying thing, right? God is calling the nations against Edom for their destruction. So it's a, it's a surety, right? It's, it's not that it might happen. It's God has called it out. God has 
stated it. He has declared it. So he is going to bring it to pass. And as, as we walk through this text, we'll go through some of the history of that actual destruction because it, it has taken place. So God starts with this, this proclamation. He calls out the nations to come against uh, Edom. And God calls out Edom because of their, their pride. Uh, starting in uh, verse 2, he says, Behold, I will make you small among the nations. You are greatly despised. The arrogance of your heart has deceived you, you who lived in the cleft of the rocks, in the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, who will bring me down to the earth? Though you build high like the eagle, though you set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. So a little bit of a background about Edom. Edom... Um, was trusting in their their fortifications. They lived in, uh, you, might, you might have seen some pictures of what, what's been called Petra. It's like a narrow passageway. It's in the mountains, in the rocks, and then it opens up and there's some city in there. Uh, that was one of their original dwellings. The Nabataeans at one point in time took it over and I think developed it further. But uh, they lived in the, the rocks. They lived in the cliffs. They had narrow passageways to get into any of their fortifications, uh, easily defensible because there were narrow fortifications. Uh, some of the plateaus that they lived on were like, got up to like 5,000 feet above sea level. So if you actually were able to get through any of the narrow passageways, they basically just put archers up in the heights. And so very defensible, and they trusted heavily in their own fortifications. That's why God uses some of these, these words that, all right, you live in the clefts of the rocks. You're, you're high lifted up in your dwelling place. You're in the stars. You're up in the, where the eagle's nests are, but I'm going to bring you down. So they're trusting in these, their, their own fortifications, what they've been able to put together, their own means. Uh, there's a uh, a sinful autonomy here, right? They're self-reliant. They can defend themselves. There is no need for God, but God says that he will bring them down. You know, they, they were able to defend themselves for quite some period of time, uh, but when God de- determined the times for them to be defeated, they were defeated. So they lived in these uh, strongholds, these fortifications, and they trusted in their own ability within those fortifications. It's called out that in their heart, he says, um, they, in the loftiness of your dwelling place, who say in your heart, who shall bring me down? So you can see their their arrogance and their pride. Uh, You know, they had a belief that none of the nations surrounding them had any chance of bringing them down. They had that trust in their own um, abilities, their own capacities. But we know that it's God. He, he sees the heart. He sees their thinking. He knows their pride. And he has declared that they will be brought down. The extent of their destruction is described starting in verse, verse 5. Uh, and it's an interesting description he uses here. He gives us a couple of illustrations on the, the complete, utter destruction that God is going to bring. So in verse 5, he starts with, uh, If thieves came to you, if robbers by night 
Oh, how you will be ruined. Would they not steal only until they had enough? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave some gleanings? So he's talking about like this destruction is going to be an utter ruin. God is going to utterly ruin them. Like if thieves came in, you know, thieves take what they want or they take what they can carry and there's still some left. If they're out working the the vineyard, not everything's necessarily ripe at the same time, or you get out there and there's so much work to do that you have to leave some behind. God is talking about that the ruin that he is going to bring, it's going to be an utter plunder, right? He's not, there's going to be nothing left. And after after their destruction, um, which, you know, finally, I think um, Edom, Edom became known later on in history as Edomia, like the Edomians. Um, the Edomians basically ceased to exist at, after 70 AD. There was really no trace of them. They were, the whole lineage, the whole family was um, basically obliterated. And it, it was sometime in like the 1800s that somebody finally discovered actually some of their their dwelling places. They had unearthed some of it. So the ruin was like an utter ruin. Like the traces were were gone other than the scriptural record that we have. There was little trace remaining because God said that he would bring them to utter ruin. So it's not, this is not a plunder or a, or something that, that, that would normally bring be brought about through somebody coming through and, and taking them over. It's an utter ruin, and God's going to bring about that they're completely just obliterated. Uh, verse 6, he, he further talks about this, the extent of, of how uh, devastating this, this judgment by God for their, for their pride is going to be. In verse 6, he says, Oh, how Esau will be ransacked and his hidden treasure searched out, and all the men allied with you will send you forth to the border, and the men at peace with you will deceive you and overpower you. They who ate your bread will set an ambush for you. There is no understanding in him. So they trusted in these alliances they had with surrounding nations as well. Um, they were a fairly wealthy nation. They had set up like tax booths along major trade routes that they could protect easily because they were fortified. So they got a lot of money because people had to pass through that way. And they had lots of wealth. They had lots of alliances with all these nations. And God says, you can't trust in these alliances. God is going to dissolve all these alliances, all these people that they trusted in, all these individuals that they had these treaties with, um, even those that they ate bread with were going to be those that ambushed them, that were going to be those that God uh, called to go against them. So all these things that they, that they have, all these things that they re- rely on and trust on, God is going to destroy all of those things. He's going to obliterate all those things. And next we see um, God further develop some of the the plight that they would have. Uh, Looking at verse uh, verse 8 and 9, 
Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy wise men from Edom and understanding from the mountain of Esau? Then your mighty men will be dismayed, O Timon, in order that everyone may be cut off from the mountain of Esau by slaughter. So God brings it even a further stage that he's going to destroy those that have wisdom and understanding. Another aspect that that assumably Edom as a nation was trusting in, they were trusting in their wise men, they were trusting in those that had you know, ideas, those that had skill, those that were, those that were mighty. On an interesting side note, uh, Timon is, is uh, I think, the southerly city of, e- of uh, Edom. Um, Eliphaz, one of the friends of Job, was a Timonite, so he's probably from the area of, of Edom. And then Bildad, the Shuhite, uh, Shu was a mountain in Edom, so he's probably from Edom as well. And then in Lamentations, when it's talking about uh, Edom, it refers to it as the land of Uz. So Job was from the, the land of Uz. So it's in, it's in that area. So there, there's a historical background of, of individuals that have a certain degree of, of wisdom and understanding. But God says he's going to cut all those people off too. They're going to have, you know, their fortifications are done, the, the riches that they have are done. Their alliances are going to be done. There's going to be no wise men left to direct them. Uh, the mighty men are all going to fall uh, because this is of, of the Lord, because God opposes the proud and he will bring them low. Uh, we see in verse um, verse 10, God in his message through Obadiah, he develops some of the the ideas of the actual picture of the pride of Edom. We can see what Edom has done. We, we know some of the things in the past. We, we, we just mentioned that, you know, when Israel was trying to pass through, they wouldn't let him pass through. Uh, but we see the, the pride in, in Edom and how they treat their, their brother Israel. And this is in, this starts in verse 10. Um, so why is God bringing all this destruction upon them? Why is God doing this? And he says right here in verse 10, because of the violence to your brother Jacob, uh, you will be covered with shame and you will be cut off forever on the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off the wealth and foreigners entered his gate and cast lots for Jerusalem. You were as one of them. So they were abandoning Israel and their calamity right there. They're related right there. They're from two brothers that these nations are related. Uh, And in the midst of the calamity of Israel, while they're in this calamity, they stood afar, right? They had more care for their own well-being, or they had more... Uh, desire to see ill become of Israel, then they had a love for Israel, right? God equates this to to violence. They had no love. They had uh, a hatred in how they acted towards Israel. So it's because of this this violence that God has um, pronounced this judgment against them. We see in uh, the next verse, 
that it says, do not gloat over your brother's day, the day of his misfortune, and do not rejoice over the sons of Judah in the day of their destruction, yet do not boast in the day of their distress. So they they rejoiced in uh, Jerusalem being, you know, sieged. They rejoiced in their relatives being killed, right? They boasted in their own fortifications and over their their brother. And it's because of this, this prideful arrogance, again, in their, their own security, their own autonomy, that ah, that can happen to Israel, but that can't happen to us. And so they gloated and they boasted and they um, trusted in their own means. And then there's another uh, prohibition here. And, and it's interesting that there is kind of a transition here. And I, I meant to point this out, but I just I forgot about it and I don't remember. There's a kind of an interesting transition here that there's kind of a firsthand account. And then as we get into this latter section where um, Edom's pride is actually pointed out, uh, God puts it in the form of, of prohibitions. Do not do this. Do not do this. Uh, do not, you know, he says, do not gloat. Do not enter. Um, but these, these historically, these things happened. So it, he's pointing out what actually did occur, but he's putting it out there in the form of an imperative of something to not do. So I think later, later on down the road, all these things specifically happen again when Israel is destroyed. Edom does the same thing. So they have a warning here. They've done it. There's judgment. God doesn't obliterate them off the earth at this point in time. They do it again later. And then finally, there is a final destruction of, of Edom. And actually, in uh, the book of Acts, there's one of the last uh, of the Edomite, uh, Edomian kings that's actually, um, we read about his destruction, and that's, that's Herod Agrippa. He, he's the one that... Uh, he is arrogant and he boasts and the people say the voice of a God and he agrees with them. And it's at that moment that God uh, takes his life and he is uh, eaten by worms. And he's, he's of that Idumean line. So there's, after that, that's, they're whittling down to not many after that because he's, he's one of the last of the, the um, I guess I don't know what the right word is, royalty of that, that lineage. So it's God makes an utter destruction as as He promised. Another picture we have here in their their pride against uh, their their pride and their lack of love for their their kin, their family, their their neighbor Israel, is that uh, in verse thirteen He says, "Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their disaster." Yes. Do not gloat over their calamity in the day of their disaster, and do not loot their wealth in the day of their disaster. Uh, so they, these are all things that they did, right? They sought the opportunity, so they pillaged uh, Israel. And then in verse, verse 14, we see, and do not stand at the fork in the road to cut down the fugitives, and do not imprison their survivors in the day of their distress. So not only did they, some of them went in and they pillaged, they took advantage, they looted after Israel uh, had been defeated. 
And then even some of the people of Edom, they stood outside, you know, at a distance at the places in the road, and they captured the fugitives. They captured those running from the disaster. So in the midst of their calamity, they sought opportunity to to capture them, to imprison them. Uh, some of the, the language there, and I think some translations uh, lead it to, you know, would lead you to believe that they even turned them over to the people that were actually doing the the attack on the city. So they grabbed up the survivors and turned them over. So through there, we, we see the, and I said there's, there's, there's two main principles that we see that, that run through, two universal principles about the character of God. Uh, one is that the sowing and reaping principle, and you can see that this will get developed further, but you can see that the sowing and reaping principle uh, gets developed here, right? They have reaped what they have sown, right? They have sown to the flesh. They have not trusted in God. They've trusted fully in themselves. And then secondly, we see that God is opposed to the proud. Right? God, is, God is opposed to Edom for their pride, for their actions, for their treatment of their relatives, for the pride that they have exhibited. But like many of the the minor prophets, you 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 start with really a, a heavy message. But because God is is uh, loving, He's kind, He's gracious, He's compassionate. Uh, we end with really the other side of one of the principles that we talked about, and it's that God gives grace to the humble. Right. That's the other side of that principle, as we see in the book of James, right? God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So we see that God is going to, he's going to make things right. He's going to restore. He has seen what is happening. And right, God says not to take revenge, right? He says, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And God is going to do that. Uh, he, he sees what Edom has done. And Edom will be repaid for what they have done, right? What they have sowed, they will reap. And we have looked through that, but we also see that that God is just, and he knows the, the plight of Israel. He knows their calamity and all these things, and God will restore. Uh, God is going to, in his grace and mercy, restore and bring things back. So, as we get toward the end here, uh, verse 15, we see a common theme again in the Minor Prophets. For the day of the Lord draws near on all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. Because just as, it is, just as you drank on the holy mountain, all the nations will drink continually. And they will drink and will swallow and become as if they never existed. So they, this is why I say that the, the sowing and reaping principle is in here. He says that he's going to return on them uh, according to their deeds, according to what they have done. And then the, the idea of, of drinking here, I think, is, is a pretty vivid picture. They have partaken and they have 
some of the blessings that God has given Israel, they've plundered some of that, they've partaken of some of that, and God says that they will drink, and they will drink to the extent that is if they never existed, right? They're going to drink of the, the full wrath of God. He, they're going to, to drink to the point that it's as if they never existed. It's, they're going to be um, um, uh, judged in that way. Verse 17, but in Mount Zion, there will be those who escape and it will be holy and the house of Jacob will be, will possess their possessions. Then the house of Jacob will be a fire and the house of Joseph a flame and the house of Esau will be stubble and they will set them on fire and consume them so that there is no, there'll be no survivor of the house of Esau. For the Lord has spoken then those of the Negev will possess the mountain of Esau and those of Shephelah, the Philistine plain, and they will possess the territory of Ephraim and the territory of Samaria. And Benjamin will possess Gilead. And the exiles of this host of the sons of Israel who are among the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem who are in Safrod will possess the cities of the Negev. The deliverers will ascend Mount Zion to judge the mountain of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. The Lord's going to restore uh, what has been uh, lost. He's going to restore according to his promise. And I think just just as a side note that we can walk through this text and see that all these these things literally happen. So this is literal, right? He's going to restore all these lands to the people. He's going to set all these borders, right? That's what God does. God establishes nations' borders. He establishes the time limit for nations. He uh, establishes kingdoms and brings kingdoms down, just, just like we read uh, not too long ago. Um, in the account of, of Nebuchadnezzar, right? Nebuchadnezzar says, um, he says this, uh, after he is humbled, he says, I bless the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures for generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? So God is going to uh, restore all of this. And we see that, that throughout it, we see his, his sovereign hand of control uh, in all that is happening. Right? God is paying attention, right? No sin gets swept under the rug. Uh, all sin must be paid for. All sin is accounted for. And with this, this nation of Edom, where he brings forth this message to these enemies of Israel, right? He's directing this message to, to Edom, but Israel is the one that's reading it. So they see what God is going to do. They see how God is going to act. They see that, that God is paying attention. Um, we, we read in Malachi, right? Israel says, how have you loved me? And God says to uh, through Malachi, was not Esau Jacob's brother, right? So God shows his his loving compassion to um, 
Israel here through how he was going to deal with Edom, this, this nation that has uh, really been a thorn in Israel's side, a nation that, you know, they should have gotten along, they should have assisted one another, they're, they're related, but yet Edom took all advantages that they could to make life difficult for Israel. And God is uh, paying attention, he is in control, and they will reap what they have sown. And then just, just, like, uh, just like God does, just as according to his character, in his loving kindness, he will restore, he will make all things right, he will judge all the nations, he will fulfill his promises to Israel, he will establish their borders and their, their um, territories, uh, because that's, that's what God does, right? God is amazing. He is powerful. Uh, he declares the end from the beginning, and that's, that's, what, that's what Isaiah says, and that's what God has done here. He declares the end before it even begins, right? He says what will become of this, this nation because of their, their treachery, and he says what will become of Israel, who has suffered uh, by this, this nation. So just just kind of in closing and thinking through those things again, it's I think the, sometimes with the, the minor prophets drawing application or implication can be can be rather difficult, and we tend to look at some of the broader concepts, like I said, like the principle of sowing and reaping that God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. I think that that through this passage and through what we see here, how God so severely deals with this pride, uh, we can get in our in our thinking again to be mindful of of who God is, because like I was saying, that the the sure cure for for our pride is to have a right view of who God is, and God takes sin very seriously. Right? He knocked this nation off of the face of the earth. They're they're no longer a nation. Uh, and chief among their sins that, that we see is their, their arrogance and their autonomy, their self-reliance. And God is, is very serious about sin, and God is able to bring about all these things. He's able to declare the end from the beginning. He's able to um, bring life where there is no life, Right? And so as we, as we think about this destruction of Edom, if we, as we think about what God has, has done to this nation, it should cause us to have that, that proper fear of who God is. Uh, God is, is able, right? They, they had strong fortifications and God brought them to nothing. Um, just like all nations on earth, right? All the nations, all their borders have shifted and moved and God is involved in all of those things. God used Nebuchadnezzar to judge nations, and then when they went too far, God used nations to judge Nebuchadnezzar because God is utterly and totally in control. And even in the midst of all these these terrible things that happen, uh, our our thinking can be directed to, to what Joseph says, right? It's man meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. He can work through all these these calamities, all these 
uh, wicked things that are happening that, that we read about in this passage, and he can work it all for uh, what is good. He can work it towards uh, restoration. He can work it for his, his glory. He can work it to direct all um, to his, his son. And just, uh, just to close, I wanted to read just a portion of James. Uh, James chapter 4. He says this, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep, and let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Again, uh, uh, the, the pride that we have, that we can have in ourselves is a very serious thing, right? He calls us to, to weep and to mourn about it because when we're, when we're prideful, we, we fail to recognize who God is. We, we bring God down low and think that he is like us uh, when he is nothing like us. And we are to... Um, be serious about it, just as God is serious about it, right? There's uh, James uses pretty vivid language there. Weep and howl. It should be serious to us to to put ourselves in a position where we are opposed to God, because being opposed to God is a is a horrific place to be. All right, let's uh, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you once again for your your word of truth um, that we can see just all the amazing things that you have done within your word, Lord, that uh, uh, you spoke all things into existence, that uh, you parted the Red Sea, that you have uh, taken... Uh, those that believe that are dead in their trespasses and sin and given us life, Lord, that you have done all those things. You uphold all things by the word of your power and pray, Lord, that uh, you would help us to think on those things, that we would um, have the, the, the correct theology in our thinking about who you are and that we would have that be reflected in, in, in how we live, Lord, that we would have the right perspective on who you are and that we would live, live accordingly, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your, your grace and your mercy in allowing us to, to be here tonight, to be here and to, to gather, uh, to spend time in, in, in uh, prayer and singing and, and looking in your word, Lord, all Huge blessings that, that that you allow us to allowed us to be part of, and we thank you for that. Lord, pray that you would help us all to to grow in our love for you, that we would get to know you more through just the, the study of your word, to reading your word. And Lord, we thank you that uh, in your your great compassion, you have revealed yourself to us, and we thank you too that uh, we can 
know that every good and perfect gift is from you and that uh, there is no shadow of variation that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we thank you for that. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.